Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise.
Today's topic is the false prophet of iniquity, the beast that looks like a lamb but which speaks like a dragon. We're going to continue our studies of the book of Revelation. Last time I spoke on the identification marks of the Antichrist and today we're going to talk about the lamb-like beast of Revelation chapter 13. Would you please take your Bible and turn to Revelation the 13th chapter and verse 11. Even though you don't have to look up the texts, you'll be greatly blessed if you will take the time to do so and I'd like you to do so. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11. And uh, I want at this stage also to uh, say some words of welcome to the people who watch us on our television uh, systems, particularly our friends on Three Angels Broadcasting Network. I want to thank Danny and Linda Shelton for standing with us in the greatest of all works, and that is the preaching of the everlasting gospel. Three Angels Broadcasting Network, uh, those people there are the salt of the earth, and they are our partners in the preaching of the gospel in North America, around the world, and particularly to the blessed and wonderful Russian people. And we want to welcome them particularly today to this telecast. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. We're going to discover today that this power is the false prophet of iniquity who arises in these last days. Now before I give you an exegesis of Revelation 13 today, I would like with your permission to make some, some comments on the whole scenario and talk about this whole chapter before I get into it. The first thing I want to say today is this, that the book of Revelation is written primarily for us who are living in the last days. While the book of Revelation has got a great message for all people for all time, at least in the Christian era, the book of Revelation reaches its consummation in the last days. I believe that we are living in the last days. I notice this copy of, of Time magazine, which is the latest copy of Time magazine, says it has a quotation on the front because it's talking about the, the awful tragedy of Rwanda. And it makes this statement, this is the beginning of the final days, this is the apocalypse. What a statement. This is the beginning of the final days, this is the apocalypse. Why does the person quoted on Time Magazine, uh, on the front of Time Magazine, make this statement? Because Jesus said that one of the signs of the, of the last days would be awful disasters such as earthquakes and famines and pestilences. And while this tragedy in Africa is not isolated, taken in the context of everything that is happening today, it is another sign that we are the children of the apocalypse. We are living in the last days in the history of the world. And that is the first comment I want to make. The time is ripe and Time magazine is ripe. Number two, today we're going to talk about the collapse of democracy and the, and the rise of intolerance. If we take these prophecies seriously, and I do very much, this prophecy about the false prophet that we're going to study today tells us that the world and the church are both in for a fearful time of trouble. 
I believe that the church is not raptured home to glory before the tribulation. I believe the church is called to face the great enemy during a terrible time of trouble. I don't believe that we're going to be raptured home to glory. I don't believe that prosperity gospel. I don't believe it's taught in the Bible. I believe it's unworthy of the disciples of Christ. But I believe that we're going to go into a great time of religious persecution. Today we're going to talk about the, the joining together of church and state. Because this is what Revelation 13, these last verses talk about. The image of the beast talks about the union of church and state. I believe with all my soul in religious freedom. Now, most people, I'm afraid today, do not really understand a great deal about religious freedom. If religious freedom means anything, it means freedom for minorities who may be teaching heresy. That's what religious freedom is. Religious freedom is not freedom to preach the truth. Religious freedom is freedom to preach error if you believe it is the truth. It's very, very important. Now the church of the Dark Ages and the Russian Orthodox Church today, those organizations do not understand this. There are two very important words that we need to understand. One is coercion and one is conscience. The Bible nowhere says that a person should be forced should be coerced into worshiping God. Nowhere is this taught in the Bible. In fact, the Bible teaches the very opposite. The truth does not need the state to help it. Only heresy, only the false prophet needs the help of the state. And that is why church and state should be separate. And that is why the First Amer uh, Amendment in the American Constitution is a wonderful statement. It says, and you know it better than I do because you are Americans and I am not. The, the, the the First Amendment says that Congress shall make no law concerning the establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Those people today in the, in the far right of America who are praying for the setting up of a Christian nation are praying for the setting up of the false prophet. Because truth does not need the power of Caesar. We have the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. All worship must be voluntary. Persecution is coming, and at issue is how a person worships God. We're going to talk about this today. The, the great controversy starts with, a, with a, a conflict over how people worship God. And the great controversy finishes with a conflict over how people worship God. It's not a case of shall we worship or not worship. The conflict is going to be how shall we worship God according to the dictates of men or the teachings of the Bible. That's the great issue. And persecution is going to come over this. We're going to discover today that the beast like the lamb represents counterfeit Christianity. It is the false prophet of iniquity. Now, there is a movie that is quite famous. I think it is called, and if it is, if it is quite famous, I guess I should know what it is called, but I believe it is called Leap of Faith. And it stars Steve Martin. I confess, I got the videotape and I looked at it. Because there has been such a hullabaloo about this, uh, about this movie. Because, uh, and, and the hullabaloo has come from religious people. 
because leap of faith is the story of a religious person, a faith-healing preacher. And the far right has been howling to heaven because they say this is an attack by Hollywood against the Christian church. For once I wish to defend Hollywood, it is not an attack on the Christian church, it is an attack upon counterfeit Christianity. And Steve Martin plays the part marvelously. He is a faith-healing preacher, and I tell you, there, there are some like this, maybe many like this. He curses, he womanizes, he drinks alcohol. Uh, he is just a carnal man, but he says, hey, I'm in the Jesus business. Did you know there are multitudes in this country who are in the Jesus business? They have practiced praying, they have practiced saying religious words, and they are as phony as a $2 bill. $3 bill? Is there a $2 bill? Well, as phony as a $3 bill. It shows you how our ministry is suffering for want of funds. <laughs> Please make it a good offering today. We don't have any $2 bills, but don't put $2 bills in. Uh, no, we take everything. But in this movie, Leap of Faith, at the very climax of the movie, there is a miracle. And there, there is this young man who was a cripple who was healed by the power of God. And so the movie actually talks about the power of God. And I thought, on the whole, it was a good portrayal of much religion in the world today. And what the Bible is talking about today, it is talking about a phony religious power. And Jesus warned us. Let me tell you this, religion is either going to make you a lot better or else it's going to make you a lot worse. And the best people in the world, well some of the best people in the world are religious people and some of the worst are religious people. Did you hear this? Just because a person goes to church, don't think he's a good person, he may be the biggest crook. Hey, who's laughing about that? It's the truth. It is the truth. Religion either makes you better or else it makes you worse. Some of the best people I've met are religious people and some of the biggest crooks I've met are churchgoers and members in the church. Mm. Get the video, Leap of Faith. Matthew 7, well I shouldn't tell you to get it, but I got it because it talks about religion. And it's not against Christianity, it is against the phonies. Matthew chapter, and this power today is the biggest phony of the lot. Matthew 7, 15 to 23. Matthew 7, 15 to 23. My friend, I wouldn't want to be a phony, would you? I wouldn't want to be a hypocrite, would you? I would want to be true blue. I would want to be dinky dye. I would want to be fair dinkum. That's what I would want to be. Nobody understands what I'm talking about. Your culture is going to improve as we live together. But that means I want to be genuine. I don't want to be something on the outside that I'm not on the inside. And I want to tell you something else now we're talking about this subject. There's something that, re that I really find nauseating and that is the tendency of so many religious people ever to admit that they're wrong. 
Have you noticed this? It's, it's, a, it's a sin to admit that you're wrong. A Christian is probably more wrong than he's right. But he recognizes it. The Bible says that we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And if, and, and if you can't come to the place where you admit that you make mistakes and you're wrong, then you're not going to go to heaven until you're converted. And this is a part of false Christianity. False Christianity never, never admits its mistakes and failings. But a Christian saved by grace knows that he can only be saved by the righteousness of Jesus. But the false prophet, uh, false prophet never admits anything. Uh, verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You'll know them how? Come on, how, how are you going to know them? By their fruits. And do fruits come on overnight? You listening to me there? Do fruits come on overnight? Hmm. How long does it take for fruits? Sometimes it takes a long, long time. Jesus said, you'll tell them by their fruits. And the fruits may be a long time coming, but my friend, when they come, you'll be able to tell, all right? You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes of figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's talking about hell. Therefore, by their fruits you'll know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not everybody who says the right religious words is going to go to heaven and just because you can sit in church and shout hallelujah it doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven because the false prophet knows how to do it. Not everyone who says to me Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day Lord, Lord have we not prophesied preached in your name cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. Here are miracle workers and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And if that doesn't make us think, what will make us think? The Bible says that in the final judgment, are you listening to me? You're listening to me, brother. The Bible says that in the final judgment, people are going to come and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, they're in the Jesus business. Hmm. Lord, Lord, haven't we preached in your name? Well, I can understand that. A person can preach in the name of Jesus. But it says, haven't we cast out demons in your name? That's a bit amazing. Haven't we done miracles in your name? We've healed the sick. We've done all these wonders. And Jesus says, get out of here. I've consigned you to hell. I've consigned you to hell. You know why? Because they do not obey the word of God. And I want to tell you something. I'm all for religious emotionalism in the right place. We need to have a bit of life in our church. Come on, let's get going. We need to have a bit of life in our church. Say amen to it. 
But I tell you something, there's something far more important than a religious emotionalism. It is a quite and a consistent obedience to the Word of God. You hear that? So it's not just all the shouts, and I don't mind a few. I think it's good. We don't have enough. We're so dead. We need to have some shouts and we need to have some glories because we're so dead. But I want to tell you something, folks. Shouting glory is not the test of Christianity. I've discovered that. The Bible says that these false prophets, these false apostles, these false prophets don't obey the word of God. They don't keep God's commandments. And this false prophet of iniquity who is described in Revelation 13, while he says glory, and while he says praise the Lord, and while he casts out demons, and while he has people up the front and heals them, he doesn't keep the commandments of God, and therefore he is consigned to hell. Strong, isn't it? Come to Revelation 13, verse 11. Consider the lamb that speaks like a dragon. The lamb, of course, is a rep representation of Jesus. And so this power is a representation of Jesus, but he's a false prophet, a false apostle. Revelation 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He doesn't come from the sea. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. Please, dearly beloved, notice the characteristics of the false prophet, this power that deceives the whole wide world in the last days. This is not the church of the dark ages. That's the first power of Revelation 13. This is not the great state church. This is a different power. Firstly, this power is a beast, not a woman. This power is not a church. This power is a political power. Number two, it is a last day power. That needs to be said because this power comes into prominence after the 1260 years. This is a power that will have great influence in the last days. It will have a worldwide influence. Notice verse 12. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So this power, my friend, has got a worldwide influence. And here is the next identification mark. This power allies itself with the great apostate church. It is not the apostate church. But it is a power that comes up in the last days. It comes up out of the earth. It is a power that has a worldwide influence. And at the end, it repudiates its heritage by allying itself with the great apostate church. It is professedly Christian because it is a lamb and it comes from the earth, not from the sea. Now the sea in Bible prophecy represents the peoples of the earth from which all the beasts of Daniel and revelation arise. But this power that comes up in the, in the last days does not come up where the vast masses of humanity are huddled together, but it comes up in a different part of the world. It is a great power that arises in purity. It arises through the preaching of the everlasting gospel. 
but experiences a moral decline and speaks like a dragon. Notice what this power does, the work of the lamb-like beast. Revelation 13, verses 12 to 14. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. This is the false Elijah. In the last days, the Bible says, God is going to have a true Elijah and he's going to come back and he's going to bring down fire that is going to be the fire of the Holy Spirit. But this power has a false Pentecost. You never knew that? The fire that comes down from heaven in the sight of men is the sign of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and this power is going to have a false Pentecost and people are going to be swept up into a great religious revival and they're going to think it is the work of God when it is the work of the Antichrist. How are you going to tell the difference? Read your Bible. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. This power, my friend, works a, a, a tremendous amount of miracles, but this power, my friend, is not the power of God. And the Bible says he sets up an image or the copy of the church of the dark ages. The Bible says this power brings down fire. People used to say, oh that's the atom bomb, come on. Not talking about that. This is symbolic language. God is going to have a true prophet in the last days who is going to preach the word of God. That's why the church exists. The church was not called to be a whispering hope. The church was called to be a prophet to the world. That's why we exist. That's why we're televising this meetings. That's why we support 3ABN. That is why we've raised up this church. That is why we have a ministry today uh, around the world, particularly in Russia, because we've been called to preach. That's the purpose of it. That's where we ought to spend our money. You say, but not everybody agrees with you. That's another reason why I'm probably right. Because truth has never been accepted by the majority, even among the professing people of God. I urge you to put your money into the preaching of the gospel. Now the Bible says this power is a great showman. This great organization is like Steve Martin, bless him, who is fraudulent, but who does the miracles. And thus people are deceived. Naive, simple, biblically illiterate people are deceived by miracles. Let me say it again. Naive, simple, biblically illiterate people are deceived by miracles. That is why the prophet of God said to this church, the only people who are going to stand through the last great conflict are people who fortified their minds with the word of God. And when you come to this church, I beseech you in the name of Christ, study the Bible. This is not entertainment. I'm trying to get you into heaven. And for some of you, it's hard work. Some of you 
need to take the Word of God and study it and read it and bring it to church. But this power deceives the world and the first people are going to be deceived are those superficial, simple, biblically illiterate people who also sleep in church who don't read their Bibles. Now this power sets up an image to the beast. If I were to come into your home, not sleeping now, if I were to come into your home and uh, say if you were a lady with blonde hair and uh, you had a little girl and she had blonde hair and you had a turned up nose and she had a turned up nose and I said to you, she's the spit image of her mother and isn't she beautiful? What would I mean? She looks like you. She talks like you. She walks like you. She is a chip off the old block. The image of the beast represents another religious system, Bob knew, that is going to be the copy of the great church of the dark ages. What was the church of the dark ages? What was the most significant characteristic of the church of the dark ages? Apostasy, a turning from the Bible, persecution, and the union of church and state. Do you know why every true American is opposed to the setting up of a Christian nation and the union of church and state? Because the true American understands what the First Amendment is about. A true American understands history. We live today in an age of terrible ignorance when many have forgotten why America was raised up. America was raised up to be a light on a hill and to show the world how it ought to be done. You see? But the Bible says in the last days there is going to come another great system in the last days which is, and it's going to spread right around the world and encompass every nation and it is going to set up an ecclesiastical organization which is going to be a union of the church with the state and will enforce religious laws. And when that happens, you and I will need to know what we believe and who we believe. Because I believe the day is going to come when there is going to be again blood in the streets. I believe that true believers who follow Christ will be thrown into prison, and they'll be thrown into prison not because of their sins, but because of their fidelity to Christ and His Word. And because they are spiritually nonconformists. Read on about the mark of the beast. Revelation 13, 15 to 18. Revelation 13, 15 to 18. He was given power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast, that is this amalgamation of church and state in the last days, should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is a power that is obviously religious because the issue is worship. How shall a person worship God 
And the Bible says that this great system, the false prophet that does the miracles and that has a false Pentecost is going to set up a, a, a relationship or an amalgamation of church and state and those who will not conform will be put to death. I have news to tell you today and this will not be a comfort to you unless that your faith in, is in God. The greatest time of trial is still ahead for the church. You pray for the coming of Jesus. Do you know when you're praying for the coming of Jesus, you're praying that persecution will come? Because the persecution comes before the coming of Jesus. And the Bible says there is coming a time of trial upon the church. Ellen White gave the, the description of a vision. She said she saw where once there were great fields of, of ripened wheat. Almost everything was gone. And then she said, we will stand for the truth when the majority of our brethren forsake us. Oh, I have some people who say, well, if I just stay with the church, I'll be right. I can just get on the train and go to sleep and wake up in heaven. Don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? We shall stand for the truth when the majority of our brethren forsake us. Together, she talks about gathering coldness from their frigidity, loyalty from their treachery. And so the Bible says the image of the beast is going to speak and say, unless you are a conformist to the teachings of men, you will be put to death. I believe in the last days, we're going to see martyrs again. We're going to see a multitude of people put to death. I don't know how many. But I'm really nauseated by the religion that is taught in so many parts of the world that says, well, it's just great being a Christian. It's all fun, 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 fun. And when things start to look bad, Jesus comes and we're all raptured home. And nothing's going to happen to us. That's the teaching of the false prophet. How can a person with any sense, pardon my saying this, because there are heaps and heaps of Christians who believe this, so let me soften it. How can a person with any theological understanding really believe that? When you know that in this century, tens of millions have died for their faith alone in Russia. What are you going to say about that? Why didn't Jesus come and rapture the Russians home? Hmm? Are the Americans different? Are the Australians different? Are the English different? Is, are there one set of rules for the Russians and another set of rules for us? No, no. The Russians, the Christians have gone through awful persecution. So will the last day church and you and I ought to get ready for it by a true relationship with Christ. I know that some of you are listening today and some of you think it's just like a circus where you come to get entertained. This is not a circus and it's not a place to get entertained. It's a place to get converted and saved. Amen. Now, read on please. Verse 16, And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who is understanding calculate the number of the beast. It is the number of a man. His number is 666. 
Now, the Bible teaches that the image of the beast, the amalgamation of church and state, will enforce the mark of the beast or the mark of the apostate church. This is a sensitive subject. And what I will say in Pasadena will be stronger than what I'm going to say now. Though I'm told everywhere don't preach these things. That to me is a sign of spiritual impotency and treachery. God has a mark, and the Bible says that the mark of the beast is a counterfeit to the mark of God. God has a lamb, it is Jesus. The Antichrist is a lamb. God has a true Elijah, a true prophet. The Antichrist has a false prophet. Not everything that is religious is good. Most of it is bad. Therefore, we should have spiritual discernment so we can tell the true from the false. Now, the Bible says that in the last days, the mark of the beast becomes an issue. And without going into this in great depth, let me tell you this, that God has a mark, God has a sign, and God has a seal. Now, I want you to come over here to Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. And here God sends a message to his beloved church. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. Dearly beloved. Ezekiel 20 verse 12. God says, moreover, I also gave them, say it with me, come on, my Sabbaths. To be what? Say it again, to be what? Uh, a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And verse 20, hallow my Sabbaths and they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Let me say a few words about this holy and wonderful Sabbath. God says to his church, the Sabbath is a sign. Oh, how the devil hates the sign. There is one thing that unites the American people, and that is the unfolding, the unfurling of old glory. It is a sign of nationhood. It is a sign of of basic decency. It is a sign that says we believe in certain fundamental rights. And that is why every American ought to and does respect the flag. I have no time for people who burn the flag. Pardon my saying, no time at all. I think they're basically traitors. But what I'm saying is this, I believe that God has a sign that is greater than any human sign. My beloved brethren, and the Bible says it is the Sabbath. Why is the Sabbath a sign? Because it is a sign that I acknowledge that I am the creature and he is the creator and he has my first allegiance. And when a person goes to church, and when a person welcomes in the Sabbath, and when a person refrains from buying and selling, and doing all sorts of other activities like swimming on the Sabbath, and partying 
on the Sabbath. And when he keeps the Sabbath as a holy day and not a holiday, he is saying, I worship you. I worship you. I acknowledge you. You are the Lord. That's why the Sabbath is important. It is not an option. Karl Barth, one of the greatest of the theologians, said this, where the holy day becomes the day of man, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. You want to know why the demons are ruling in America today? It's because we have rejected the Sabbath. The Sabbath says, worship God. Why is there so much crime? Why are there so many divorces? Why are there so many abortions? Why are there so many cases of of child abuse. Why is even the President of the United States saying we've got to teach people today what is right and what is wrong, what is black, what is uh, white, what is... We, we have to teach people absolutes. Why are they saying this? Because man has rejected God. And the sign of man's rebellion against God is the rejection of the Sabbath. Karl Barth says, where the, he quotes, where the holy day becomes the day of man, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. Bath says the holy day is a sign and keeping it holy and exercise of man's freedom before God and of the special re responsibility towards him in which he is man, the human creature, as the regular observance of a definite portion of time. Keeping the holy day is the most visible and because of this day's special meaning, the most comprehensive form of this special responsibility. Can I tell you folks something? The Sabbath is the only commandment in the Bible, the only one of the Decalogue that points to the Gospel. No other commandment points to the Gospel as the Sabbath. Hebrews chapter 4 says that the Sabbath is tied together with the gospel and what God has joined together let not man separate. God has joined the Sabbath to the gospel. What does the Sabbath say? It says, I made you. God says, I made you. You are special. You are my child. I have finished the work. Therefore, enter into rest. That's what the Bible says. When Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest, Jesus said, come unto me, I will give you Sabbath. The Sabbath typifies and represents the perfect peace that comes into a person's soul when he comes to Christ and is saved by the blood of the cross. Who can keep the Sabbath? A legalist? No. A Pharisee? No. Only a person who is resting in Christ. And the change of the Sabbath is the Antichrist's interference with the holy day of God. And how the world has been deceived and destroyed. Samuel Bakiaki, the well-known Adventist theologian, has described the Sabbath in these words. He has called it a sanctuary in time, a window on eternity, a holiday with God. I want to say to the parents here, you've got little children, if you're not bringing your little children to Sabbath school and church, you're saying to your children, God doesn't matter a great deal. 
I'm saying to every person here in the church, keeping the Sabbath is not an option with a Christian. Keeping the Sabbath is the response of a heart filled with love saved by the gospel. And the Bible says that in the last days that the false prophet is going to counterfeit God's sign and enforce the counterfeit, and this is going to bring about persecution. Now, I'm going to take it a little closer to your heart. I'm going to ask and answer the question, how does a person get the mark of the beast? And I'm going to make it a little more definitive. The mark of the beast ultimately is conformity to the word of man instead of the word of God. Every time, my friend, I spiritually compromise, I'm not talking about compromising about things that don't matter, but every time I spiritually compromise, every time I become a conformist and let my beliefs go, I am preparing for the mark of the beast. I have a book here entitled The Road Less Traveled, uh, which is written by a famous psychologist, and I want to read to you what he says. Think about this because this affects you and me. The selective withholding of one, one's opinions must also be practiced from time to time in the world of business or politics if one is to be welcomed into the councils of power. If people were always to speak their minds on issues both great and small, they would be considered insubordinate by the average supervisor and a threat to an organization by management. They would gain reputations for abrasiveness and would be deemed too untrustworthy ever to be appointed as spokesman for an organization. There is simply no way around the fact that if one is to be at all effective within an organization, he, must, he or she must partially become an organization person, circumspect in the expression of individual opinions, merging at times personal identity with that of the organization. On the other hand, if one regards one's effectiveness in an organization as the only goal of organizational behavior, permitting only the expression of those opinions that would not make waves, then one has allowed the end to justify the means, and will have lost personal integrity and identity by becoming the total organizational person. Now listen to this. Every person listen to this. The road that a great executive must travel between the preservation and the loss of his or her identity and integrity is extraordinarily narrow, and very, very few really make the trip successfully. It is an enormous challenge. Did you get that? It says that most people become an organization person. And so when the committee says, we go with the majority, even the person who says, I think that this is wrong, will still vote with the majority. Why is that so bad? I will tell you because such a person is getting ready to receive the mark of the beast. Do you, know, do you want to know what the mark of God is? The mark of God is when a person says, 
I believe that this is the will of God and I must do it. And even if everybody in the church and the world forsakes me, I will still keep my course. The mark of the beast is going to be placed on the foreheads and the hands of multitudes of Christians who are conformists and put their personal desires above their integrity and their honesty. People who are prepared to sell a little bit of their soul for personal gain. If you do that, if that is how you operate, you don't have to be around when the mark of the beast is enforced. In fact, in reality, you have it today. Though it has an eschatological application. How can a person stand in the last days? I want you to think of a story, and you don't need to turn up the passage because it is famous. This chapter, Revelation 13, is based upon Daniel chapter 3. All theologians recognize this. You don't need to turn it up because you know the story. You know how in Daniel 2 there's the vision of the image. And in Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar sets up the image. Sixty cubits high, six cubits across. It was the image of the beast. That's what this whole chapter of Revelation 13 is based upon. And there is a decree that goes out to the world. Everybody must come to the dedication of the image. And when everybody comes, everybody, it doesn't matter who you are and your background or your religion, you must kneel down and worship the image. And you know in the quaint words of Daniel 4 or Daniel 3, it says, at the sound of the harp and the flute and the bagpipes and, and all of these things, it says, then when you hear the noise, everybody must bow down. And when the noise goes forth, everybody does. Everybody does. Everybody gets down with his nose in the dust and worships the image, except three young Jews, three young followers of God who are also keepers of the Sabbath. Interesting, isn't it? And, and so the supporters of, of the king say, These, you've got some young, young men here who do not obey your laws and they're not sensitive to your voice and they have not now bowed down. And so Nebuchadnezzar gets very mad which wasn't hard for an oriental potentate to do. So he gets very mad, and he says, bring these young heretics in before me. And three young men come in before him. I ask the question, what about the rest of the Jews who had also been taken over there to Babylon? What were they doing? They were down with their noses in the dust. They were conforming. They had become... The, they had become total organization people. They were doing what the organization said. I tell you, the organization is not always right. Don't you believe that? And so they're down on the ground, but there are three young men. And Nebuchadnezzar says, now I like you because I've trained you, and I like you. I'm going to give you another opportunity. 
Now, at the sound of the harps and the bagpipes and all the rest of this, when you hear it, well, but if you don't, I'm going to cast you into a burning fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we've got nothing to discuss. We've got nothing to discuss. If we go into the fire, out of where consumed, then so be it. But we want you to know that our God in whom we believe is able to deliver us. And we will not bow. And so here are three young Hebrews that will not bow, will not budge, will not bend, and time was subsequently to prove that they would not burn. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. And so they tossed them in the fire. Jesus didn't come down and rapture them to heaven. He let them go into the cooking pot. Hmm. Oh, how do people get this all twisted up? Jesus did not come down and say, hey, I'm going to rapture your home now. No, no, no. They went into the fire. <laughs> and then somebody said to the king, hey, didn't we put, or, or the king said, didn't we put three in there? I see four. And the guys who threw them in got burned up. And so the king comes near and he looks and he, he sees he sees four, and the fourth is like the form of the Son of God. Jesus walked with them in the fire. What was the mark of the beast for those young men? Conformity to the dictate of an evil empire. And so he says, Nebuchadnezzar says, come on out. And they come out, and they can't even smell any fire on them. Budge not, bow not, bend not, burn not. Because they were faithful to their God. They knew what they were called to do. They knew that, that if they were to compromise their religious principles, they would receive the mark of the beast. And they said, we will not yield. In the last days, the image of the beast is going to be set up. All Nebuchadnezzar is going to say, Come to the dedication. And everybody's going to come. The United Nations is going to be there. And then they're going to say, we want you to worship. We want you to worship God, but we want you to worship God according not to the law of God, but to the laws of men. Oh, there's going to be a lot of religious talk. There's going to be a lot of faith healing. There are going to be a lot of cripples throwing their wheelchairs away. There are going to be a lot of hallelujahs. There, it's going to be a great time of spiritual ecstasy. And the fire of, of the unholy spirit is going to be working there, but those people will think they've got the genuine product. There are going to be some people who believe in the living God and in the commandments of, the God, of God, and they will say, we have nothing to discuss. It is a cut, clear, dried decision. It is formulated in our minds. 
Let it be known unto you that we do not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. And we will not accept your mark. We will not bend. We will not budge. We will not bow. And those people ultimately will be delivered and when the world is burning, they will not burn. 